0: The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. You know, I don't think we uh, say it often here, but we've got a team of creatives that really help us produce on Sunday morning and and really um, point us towards the theme. And they've done a a great job with this bumper video. They are amazing. Matt, thank you. Matt Smith leads our creative team. Thank you so much. They were up until... 2 a.m. Friday night, shooting the bumper video for our next series coming up in two weeks. And um, they do such a great job. It's so good to be in a city where so many, you just, you feel like inferior to say like like, so many talented people in this city. And you're like, man, uh, who am I? What am I even doing in this city? But we're grateful for you guys. You do a great job, Matt. Thank you so much. So we're going to finish out today um, this series we titled Scent. And so for the last five weeks, we've taken this idea and we've asked this question. And we said, what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus who lives, works, and plays in such a way where people around us, wherever we live, work, and play, might have the possibility of of even knowing Jesus? And so... We had a week where we opened it up and talked about what it looked like as a disciple. And then the next week, we had one of our very own here that came in and talked about what does it look like to to be a person who works and is an employee or maybe even a boss where you go to work every single day and you see that as a place where God sent you where he sent you so that you might be the person that other people could look at and see Jesus. And then Chris Revel, our director of Family Ministries, came two weeks ago and did a great job sharing his story of how he went from a football player in Tallahassee, Florida, to uh, having a great job, to believing, you know what? God may actually be asking me to move to Los Angeles, had nothing to do with Story City, just happened to connect with us, and his life was available to be sent by God. And then last week, our good friend, Tim, Tim to tell us came in and he talked about what does it look like to live sent in the place where you live in your neighborhood? Do you know the people by name around you? And I thought he did a great job. And this morning, I want to close us out today. And uh, it's a little bit different, a little different morning than it normally is. Typically, I like to take a passage of Scripture. If you're new here this morning, typically we like to open up a book of the Bible and teach through it word by word, verse by verse. But this morning going to be a little bit different. I want to share a little bit um, from my heart as your pastor this morning and talk to you a little bit about this idea and what really beats my heart and our heart as a team as we lead this church in our city. And so we culminated this series with this weekend um, this past weekend called Better Together LA Weekend. And it was an amazing, amazing weekend. There's some pictures on the screen, but let me tell you a little bit about what happened um, over the last three days. We had 614 people that registered for 13 different projects that we had going on mostly here in Burbank, from free haircuts, free headshots. Um, I don't know, if, if you work in the industry and you have to get headshots, you know how expensive those can be? And uh, if you're just a poor person, poor actor who moved here from wherever, and you're like, I, you know, I'm working three jobs, free headshots is a big deal to some folks. Free nail polish, that was so cool. Uh, we had a teenager that rounded up that headed up our free nail polish hour. She did such a good job. My daughter actually got her nails done and she came home. She was so pumped about getting her nails done. So, Izzy, if you're here this morning in the auditorium, thank you for heading up that. Um, that, that project. We have free computer repair that we had to punt on, even though we did help one or two folks. We have free family photos. Uh, we had a no-cost health clinic. We offered a free uh, vision clinic where kids from 5 to 18 could get their eyes examined. If they needed glasses, they had the opportunity to get free glasses as well. Uh, we had a team of folks who went to local businesses and washed some storefront windows. We had a foster family day out plan where we were going to take a foster family to Universal, taking a breakfast universal studios and just have a great day we had to punt on that but we're going to reschedule it uh, we had a backpack giveaway we have a few backpacks left we're going to offer one of our local schools here about 100 backpacks to any kid that needs one we had a free car wash and then steve led a home renovation project Yes, are you tired i have talked to multiple people like man steve really did this in yesterday it was awesome <laughs> But I saw the before and after pictures and it was incredible. And so we had so many things going on this weekend. We had 134 registered volunteers. We actually have more volunteers than that, but we just had 134 registered. Some people actually just showed up. If you were involved in Better Together LA weekend, if you were served, if you volunteered, even if you didn't, I think we just need to give the Lord a big round of applause for what he did this weekend. So incredible. I just want to say to you, As one of your pastors here at Story City Church, I just want to say to you how excited I am to look across the landscape of our city and our church and see our church, to see you give so generously of your time And your energy, and your talents, and your finances, and your resources, and invest those in the city. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me that a church is not, uh, we're just we're just not existing here to be entertained. We're not just an audience that comes in on Sunday morning to be entertained. We're an army to be empowered to love our city. And I love that you were so engaged in Los Angeles this weekend. It was really, really amazing. And I want to open up my heart this morning, just for a moment. And I want to share a little bit with you about what it means as a church to love and demonstrate the gospel in good deeds as a church. I know the church very well. Um, I speak to the church. I, I encourage pastors and leaders and youth pastors around the country. I've been in the church world for almost 18 years now. I know the church world really well in North America. And I know this, having been in the church world for a long time, I know that one of the metrics for success in the church world sounds something like this. What's our seating capacity on Sunday morning? How many people showed up? How many people showed up last week? How many showed up this week compared to a year uh, ago? And I want to say to you in a post Christian secular, Culture. I believe the church needs a brand new metric for success. And it's not seating capacity. I believe the metric for success a church like Story City, a church in Los Angeles needs is not how many people are in seats, it's how many people are we sending to the places where we live. Work and play. I believe that's the metric that should guide us as a church. The goal is not how big of a church can we have. How many people can we put in seats. The goal is, is, is seeing people become disciples of Jesus. The goal is blessing our city and saying we love the people that we live around and work around. Why? Because of Jesus. And so I think we need a new metric for success. And we're just a very young church in our city. We're only about two and a half years old. But I want to say to you, I hope as long as the Lord allows me to be your pastor and Tyler to be one of our pastors and our team to lead you forward in our city. We want to be a church that binds ourselves to the mission of sending people to the places where you work, where you live, where you play. And that's what we want to be about and one of the ways we do that, one of the ways we do that is by blessing our city. One of the questions that constantly rolls through my mind, one of the questions that constantly rolls through my mind at night when I'm laying in bed, in the morning when I wake up, when I'm sitting at my desk during, one of the questions I constantly think about is how can we as a church bring much joy to our city by demonstrating the gospel. I constantly think about it. It's always on my mind. And some people hear this idea of generosity. And I'm like, well, generosity is just being kind to our... That's just a cop-out for preaching the gospel. I've been around the church world well, long enough to know there are polar extremes when we talk about churches that are generous to their city. And people hear generosity. are like, that's just a cop-out for preaching the gospel. Why don't we just preach the gospel and let the chips fall where they may? Well, let me just be very, very clear this morning. Our number one priority as a church is to preach the gospel But there's this whole thing about the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, about going to people that we just cannot forget. There's this whole thing about the early church that we see here in the scriptures that we cannot ignore, that they were generous to their communities. And then on the other side, why don't we just preach the gospel and and let the chips fall where they're made. There's this other discussion about, like, why don't we just be this social justice church and do these kind things and let the chips fall where they may. The problem is, Scripture says, there is no other name under heaven given to men. By which people can be saved except the name of Jesus. So we're just not a social justice church apart from the preaching of the gospel. So the question is, do we preach the gospel or do we serve our city? Do we preach Jesus or are we generous in our neighborhoods? And the answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes. We preach the gospel. We're generous to our city. That's the record we have of the early church in Scripture. The early church gave signs. They demonstrated the gospel in miraculous ways. We know the stories. They healed the sick. They cast out demons, but then there's other stories in scripture that don't, don't really get a lot of our attention, but they demonstrated the gospel in less miraculous ways. In Acts chapter 9, we find this lady named Tabitha. She's about to pass away, and there's this sort of eulogy made about Tabitha. She was a woman who made coats for people in her city. Then we get Acts chapter get to Acts chapter 6, and we see this guy named Stephen, and Stephen was assigned to care for the widows in the city. Then we get to Ephesians chapter 3, and we see a church in Ephesus that was concerned about racial unity. And so we see all of these signs, all of these ways in the New Testament where the early church demonstrated the gospel. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning, which is what I want to read for us for just a moment, we see the same thing. We, I want to share with us just for a few minutes this morning if you have a Bible. I want to help us understand how the church is called to make the invisible Christ visible by demonstrating the gospel, just like what we did this weekend. Maybe you're here and you're wrestling through, why, why would a church spend several thousand dollars? Why would a church spend several thousand man hours? Why would a church dedicate staff and resources and people to serving a city and giving free haircuts and renovating a home? Why would a church do that? And I hope this morning to be able to point you to scripture and say that's good and right and true. And when we do so, we make the invisible Christ visible to people around us. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. That's such a great word. I I moved from a place in our country where um, where if you didn't go to church, you knew somebody that went to church. Your mom went to church. Your brother went to church. Everybody went to church. You were in a church culture. I I feel 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 12 more now than I ever have in my entire life. I urge you as foreigners and exiles. Not everybody in our community goes to church. Not everybody cares about, not everybody leans into Jesus. And so Peter is speaking to a group of people who have leaned into Jesus and Christ has changed their life. And the result of what Christ had done in their life is now they're being exiled. They're being driven out of their communities. And he names four of them here in 1 Peter. And they're being driven out of their communities. And actually, it's not just they were driven out. They were actively being persecuted because of their belief in Jesus. And so Peter is urging them. He's encouraging them. Peter is known as the apostle of hope. He's always positive. And Peter says, I urge you to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Now listen to what he says in verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, listen to what he says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. And so what we see in First Peter here is we've got a group of believers, early Christians, first and second generation Christians. They're being insulted. They're being persecuted. They're being beaten. They're being slandered. They're being ostracized in their community. And Peter's sort of giving them this encouragement on how to live in light of, of suffering for Jesus like you had this moment, you're like, okay, if, if there was ever an occasion for a Christian or Christians or churches anywhere in the world to abstain from living publicly, verbally in their community... If there was ever a group of believers around the world that had the occasion to withdraw and be private about their faith, you would naturally assume it's probably going to be in situations where Christians are being persecuted, where Christians are losing literally their life for being known as a follower of Jesus. Yet Peter says, no, 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 I know you're being persecuted. But let me encourage you to live in such a way that those who persecute you may see your good works. They may be pointed to Jesus. If there was ever a reason to go underground, be silent, not tell the world. You'd think it would be a circumstance of persecution. But Peter doesn't give him an out. Listen to me, we don't have that out either. We don't have the privilege or the opportunity. Nowhere in scripture that we read is are we ever commanded as believers and as local churches to be private and to abstain from being not only public believers but being good citizens in our city. And why is that? And so verse 12, after verse 12, Peter gives these, these specific circumstances for, for how that may play out. He says, when you live in such a way that people are pointed to Jesus, when you live with love and grace, even around those who are persecuting you, you should do so in the context of of being a good citizen of your government. Chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. He says, you should be a good employee in such a way that you live with love and grace. And people see Jesus in chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. He says you should live in such a way with love and grace where people can see Jesus even in your home and family environment. Chapter three, verse one through seven. Why? So that people would be compelled to ask why. In doing so, We'd be a sign of the coming age. Listen to what he says when he makes this argument. he stretches this argument out and then he closes it back together in chapter three, verse 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. I, just honestly, there are many, many moments as a Christian where I wonder, is anybody ever gonna ask me why I'm so kind to my neighbors? Is anybody ever gonna ask me why I act this way? On the They'll never ask that way about me when I'm driving on the freeway, but 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 like is anybody ever gonna ask me why I behave this way? It's not, it's not just not just my personal behavior, but corporately. Has anybody ever asked as a church why is it that Story City Church behaves in such a way? <laughs> why is it that a church would give away thousands of dollars and thousands of hours of man hours? Why? Why would they do so? Is Miss Carlene here this morning? Miss Carlene, where? Miss Car- don't don't come up just yet, Miss Carlene. I, I love Miss Carlene. She's been a part of our church here for. She's been a part of our church now. I guess a year, maybe a year, maybe. Um, if if there was a case study on what hospitality looked like, uh, there should be a documentary on Miss Carlene's life. She embodies hospitality. I've never seen someone so hospitable. And so she served the last two days over different events. And um, I, I, I love to watch her. There were multiple people that would get out of a car yesterday at a free car wash or they would come in for a backpack. And literally there was one lady and she said, why are you doing this? And I loved it. Miss Carlene just a smile on her face. Like, why would we do this? We love Jesus. This is we're here. And we want people to. And I just love watching Miss Carlene share exactly what Peter says would happen. Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks. To give the reason for the hope that you have. And then he goes on in verse sixteen. He says, "Keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your listen to what he says. This is the third time he uses this word." maliciously against your good behavior. First Peter chapter two and three. It's an excellent description, an excellent description of how a local church, a local community of believers in a post-Christian secular culture should live sent. He mentions good deeds. He mentions good lives. He mentions good behavior three times in these three verses. Why do you think he says that? Why do you think he says that? The reason why he says that is because the local church is God's demonstration community. We make the invisible Christ visible. Now let me say this to you. Works, free haircuts, free eyeglasses, home renovations never replace the verbal preaching of the gospel. But they demonstrate what we preach. They tangibly demonstrate what we preach love and grace. And when we effectively preach the gospel, listen to me, church, when we effectively preach the gospel, we explain with our words what we demonstrate with our lives. When we're in a community serving generously, we say, I know you can't see the Jesus standing behind me and the reason for why I'm doing what I'm doing today. But because I am here, I want to step aside and make Jesus visible. That's what Peter is saying here in 1 Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3. Make no mistake, the church's primary objective is to preach the gospel. It's not to beautify the city. It's not to care for the poor. It's not to renovate the difficult areas. The gospel testifies for what, to what God has done on behalf of humanity. But listen to me. We, we shouldn't approach this idea of generosity and service in such a way to think it's, it's extricated from the gospel. Signs don't replace the preaching of the gospel. What they do do is they help prove it. And that's why we serve generously in our city. That's why we're going to continually, continually be a people that ask the question, how can we bring much joy to the people in our city? And so as you've heard us say through the course of this sense series, our primary focus is to persuade our neighbors to believe the gospel. It's our primary focus. But that doesn't mean we just serve our neighbors only if they believe the message. Can I say that to you again? We don't just serve our neighbors only if they will believe the message. We serve our neighbors Regardless of whether they ever show any interest in the gospel, you say, Matt, I don't like that statement. Well, I want to point you to Jesus because that's exactly how he served us. Church, listen to me. Love on display in this culture will always be our most powerful apologetic. Love on display will always be our most powerful apologetic. Francis Schaeffer, who was one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers of the 20th century. He spent his entire life formulating these intellectual arguments about Christianity. And even he went on to say that, and he even went on to recognize that this spirit-fueled gospel love and grace can persuade hearts in such a way that intellectual arguments cannot. And this love on display, this apologetic, is exactly what we see in Acts chapter 16. Don't turn there. When we turned a year old as a church in 2017, I preached from Acts chapter 16. And the story there is of three people. If you know the scriptures there, if you were here um, at our one-year anniversary, there are three people in Acts chapter 16. The first lady is a lady named Lydia. She's this rich businesswoman. She's a trader in um, fine fabrics. And the scripture goes on to say that she was a worshiper of God. But what we um, deduce by reading the scripture is that she was a worshiper of God. But she didn't know what God she worshipped. And through the preaching of the gospel and acts of kindness, um, she came to realize that the God she ultimately wanted to worship, his name was Jesus. Then we get to another girl. She's this fortune-telling girl. In fact, Scripture says she made her employer a lot of money because she was really good at telling fortunes. But we also know about the fortune-telling girl is that she was demon-possessed. She practiced the occult. And we see this fortune-telling girl eventually came to faith in Christ because of Peter and their preaching. And then the third person we see in Acts chapter 16, and listen to me, is this guy who's a jailer. Most jailers in this day would have been a former Roman soldier who would have given this, been given this privilege and sort of this retirement job, if you will, to oversee a jail. This Roman soldier would have been um, an elite member of society. He would have been wealthy. He would have been an intellectual. And so he's given this responsibility to oversee a jail. And the jail that this particular person in Acts chapter 16 is overseeing happens to be the jail that Paul and Silas are in, where they're in prison. And so as Paul and Silas are in prison, they're singing songs of joy. They're speaking the gospel in their jail cell. And the jailer is listening to everything. And all of a sudden, um, God in his, um, in his power and in his authority sends an earthquake and the jail doors break open. And when the jail doors break open, all the prisoners rush out, and the jailer is terrified. Why? Because in the job description for the jailer, if the prisoner escapes, the jailer loses his life. As prisoners are rushing out of the prison, Paul and Silas run to the jailer. (laughs) They run to the jailer. And in their kindness and in their joy, the jailer looks at Paul and Silas, and he says, "What must I do to be saved?" Do you know that those three people are all over our city today? There are Lydia's all over Los Angeles, professional businessmen and women, somewhat, um, somewhat theistic somewhat in tune to what God may be doing in their world. Do you know how people like Lydia are reached? We simply go to their house and we say, hey, we've got an Easter service coming up. We'd love for you to come to Easter service. Lydia's show up in an Easter service and we preach the gospel and Lydia's come to faith in Christ. But then we have fortune telling girls in our city. We have, we have people who are spiritually, economically oppressed, depressed, They're they're captives to their scenarios and their situations, and they won't ever come to our Easter services. They won't ever come to our Bible studies. In fact, typically, um, the only way they come to Christ is when we go to them. And then we have jailers in our cities. We have the elite. We have the wealthy. We have the intellectual. They're the cynics in our community. And as God has ordained it, By the witness of his scripture, people like the jailers, the cynics, will only come to faith in Christ as God has ordained it by the generosity and joy and love on display. And so the first church plant in history, in scripture, has this businesswoman, has this demon-possessed girl, has this ruling elite jailer, And they all form the core team for this brand new church plant. And they sit at the same table in Philippi. And they experience community together that they would have never otherwise experienced apart from the gospel. I love this idea of love on display being our most powerful apologetic. We see it early on in the early church. The second century Roman emperor Julian He was one of the most fierce persecutors of the early church. The most fierce persecutors of Christians in the early church. He once told a friend, I could never stop the church from growing. No matter how many people I put in jail. No matter how many people I kill. Why? Because, his quote, the infernal Galileans feed our poor in addition to their own. Love on display. The historian Eberhard Arnold says, Most astounding to the outside observer was the extent to which poverty was overcome in the vicinity of the communities. Christians spent more money in the streets than the followers of other religions spent in their temples. (laughs) Love on display. It's our most powerful apologetic in a post-Christian, secular culture that we live in. And the church's demonstration of this coming reign of God, this church's demonstration of stepping aside and saying, the invisible man can now be visible and his name is Jesus, it looks different in every context. And every church has to pray and say, God, how can we make the invisible Jesus visible? And sometimes it may look like renovating schools. Sometimes it may look like helping alcoholics. Sometimes it may look like offering job training. Sometimes it may look like offering medical care. Sometimes it may look like healing marriages. Sometimes in the, in the situations where there's an extreme poverty, it looks like caring for the needy. Sometimes where races don't get along, it looks like the unity of the gospel. And I want to say to us as a church and remind us, if we truly believe the gospel... We're never just fully satisfied by just just putting shoes on people's feet. We're never fully satisfied by putting glasses on people's eyes when we know that their souls are in jeopardy. Shoes don't fix people's souls. Only Jesus can. And so we preach the gospel while demonstrating it in our community. You know when Jesus rode in You know, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem in the final week, when Jesus rode in on the back of a donkey, there were some who shouted, Hosanna! They were thrilled to see the King of Kings passing through. You know, there's another group of people, though. There's another group of people who weren't shouting, Hosanna. They were shouting, put him in prison, crucify him. That final week, there were religious leaders who plotted to kill Jesus. At the same time, there was this former prostitute who washed the feet of Jesus. And I would say, if Story City is going to be a gospel-saturated church where love is on display, where the gospel is wrapped in grace, kindness, and generosity, and the truth of the scripture, those two responses will be the same as well. People will see generosity on display. They will hear the preaching of the gospel and they will still shout, crucify him. But then there will be people who will have been a recipient of love on display and they will sit at the feet of Jesus because their life has been changed. Truth without grace Truth without kindness and generosity, can I say to you, is simply fundamentalism. We just believe the truth, but we believe nothing about kindness and demonstrating the gospel. We call that fundamentalism. And if we're just graceful and kind and generous, but we we extricate that from the truth, that's just sentimentality. And when we extricate grace and kindness and generosity from the truth, we impede the progress of the gospel. But listen to me. Listen, church, when we bring those together, this glove in hand, when we unite grace and truth, we multiply the effect of the gospel. So where do you start? As a very young church in a city. Where do you start in loving your city? You know where you start? You start right where you are. Right where we are. With what we have, what God has given, and blessing our city. We've staked a ground on this idea of generosity. Any way we can be in the lives of people generously. We'll cut people's hair for free that they may see the invisible become visible before their very eyes. We start where we are with what we have. Can I say to you as your pastor speaking from my heart, it's as if I want to open it up to you this morning. I'm praying that we move from projects to very specific people in our city. If you haven't figured this out by now, if you haven't been around long enough to know, we're a church where we pray that God would raise people's hands. (laughs) We prayed that God would raise people's hands to start a youth ministry, and he did. We said, God, there's your answer to prayer. Would you like to help us start a youth ministry? We pray that God would raise people's hands to be engaged in our community, in the outreach, and the generosity of our city. And that's what we're praying now. That's what I'm personally praying. God would raise people's hands. I have a passion for this. I want to specifically invest in this one school. That's what I'm praying. That God would move us from projects to specific people, specific schools, specific needs. Not just once a year, but year-round. Specific people who live in specific neighborhoods who come and sit in specific seats beside you because you're involved in the lives of people in our community. Who's going to do it? Well, I'm going to be right there alongside you, but it can't just be me and Tyler. It can't just be Chris. It can't just be Sherry can't just be staff people. We need to abandon and jettison this idea that you come and you're entertained and you pay us to reach our city. We need to embrace this idea that God has sent you. He sent you to a school, to a people, to a foster care ministry, to a creative community. He sent you. And then as the church, we come alongside you your love on display to demonstrate the gospel and preach the gospel of the people's lives would be changed. Can I ask you again as I close this morning? Where can we bring much joy to our city as we demonstrate the gospel? Can I do something as I close this morning? Can I give you Can I give you permission? You don't need my permission, but, but can I sort of commission you and give you permission to do something this morning? Can I give you permission to listen to the Spirit of God? Listen to the Spirit of God. As the Spirit of God speaks to you and says, I want you to own this in our city. What does God want to do through you in our community? Listen to the Spirit of God to see our city through the lens of the Gospels. The Gospel. There's not just one. Sorry. (laughs) There were some people this past week that really did that for us. They just raised their hand and said, yes, if you want to use me, I can be used in that way. Matt Smith was one of those. Led our headshots and did a great job. He spent eight hours at the church on Thursday and who knows how many hours editing. Jay and Danielle were on their feet all day long, Thursday and Friday, giving haircuts to people. I don't even know how many haircuts we did, 40, 50 haircuts, totally free. They get paid really well to do it. They said, you know what? I'm doing it absolutely for free. Izzy painted people's nails. Don Gregg. Did family photographs for us. Um, There were so many other projects that happened, and I want to call them by name, so give me just a second. Jemima Gregg led her health clinics and kids to get free eyeglasses. Steve Burton led her home renovation project. Mark helped out with that as well. 10 or 15 volunteers. Deborah Howard, who doesn't even go to our church from Austin, Texas, and she's here somewhere. Led our parents' night out on Friday night so 40 or 50 kids could come and, and have a fun night while parents had some time together. Kelsey Struve led a free car wash yesterday. Cindy, Sherry, and Jamie organized the whole thing. And Miss Carleen, you provided great hospitality. And beyond those folks, there was a whole army of people who said, you know what? Even though you may not have understood what it was that you were engaging in, you stood in the gap and you said, I'm going to be the person that will allow the invisible Christ to become visible to our community. And that's the kind of church, as long as you will allow me to be one of your pastors, we will always be. Love on display. Let me pray for us, Jesus. God, thank you for the tremendous privilege of serving people in our city. God, I'm confident there are people in this auditorium that are tired, exhausted, mentally, physically, emotionally from giving so much. Jesus, I pray that you would take that investment of time, energy, emotion, All of the affections that are involved, our resources, our talents, our abilities, our finances, our generosity in spirit, and in words. And God, would you take all of those things, that love on display, and God, I pray by the Spirit of the living God, you would do what only you can do with it. Make the invisible Christ visible. The people in our city, Lord. Jesus, may you find us faithful, preaching the gospel and living with grace, generosity, and kindness to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.